Jeremy, no gimmicks needed, Vilmer, and we are coming at you live tonight from the Knoxville Civic Coliseum, now the star of the show, Bobby Blaze. What's happening, Bobby? Hey, brother, thanks for having me back. I know it's my show, but you know what? Here's the deal, brother. No gimmicks needed. We're in Knoxville, Tennessee, Knoxville Civic Coliseum. You and I, no gimmicks needed. Chris Candido is what's going to be happening on this show. We're going to be bringing you from episode nine. Chris Candido remembered, and I'm so glad that all you wrestling fans and all you fans have joined us on a Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast. I'm doing great, Jeremy, and what a great gimmick it is. No gimmicks needed. What a gimmick. Exactly. Thanks. I'm glad to be back, and welcome all the fans to our podcast. Yes, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, hopefully you didn't have to drive too far to get to the Civic Coliseum, a place that smells faintly of old cigarettes, stale beer, and mouse farts. Yeah, ain't that a shoot? That's for sure. <laughs> what well, uh, you know, they got the. Uh, I think the uh, the beer is so stale there; it's unreal. But you know what? For a big double dunk cup, it's like a buck in the back. And after your match, you can have a couple and see some of the best matches you've ever seen in your life. And you got some of the best talent in the world of professional wrestling come through those uh, doors at the back of the Civic Coliseum here in Knoxville. And uh, the fans in Knoxville, Tennessee are great, man, let me tell you. And so I'm really psyched to be coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee tonight at the Civic Coliseum. And, of course, we're doing our special on Chris Candido Remembered. And and so Mr. No Gimmicks Needed, man, you couldn't sum it up better. Stale cigarettes, uh, fucking stale beer. Or I should have said cigarette smoke lingering in the air because back then it wasn't politically correct. It was, it was okay to have a smoke if you wanted to. You might have smelled some of the other stuff going around in the back, if you know what I mean. Past uh-huh. the joint from the left. I don't know what you're talking about. I ain't seen nothing. I don't know nothing. I'm just saying this. I'm so stoked to be here. Uh, it sounds like it too. The, your energy is up. Uh, you sound like you're really excited, and I am glad to announce that there has been a slight thawing in the fatwa from Canada against me, so I can't be out in public again, uh, at least for the time being. Also, given today's topic, I thought it'd be best to not pretend to be somebody else for a while. Um, right. Yeah. So, Bobby, before we, we talk about Chris Candido, let's talk a little bit about the Knoxville Coliseum before we give our shout outs and get into the topic. You must have a favorite match that you were in or saw or something that happened to you at the Knoxville Coliseum. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, a couple of things that come to mind right away. I saw some, as a, as one of the boys from the back, from behind a big black curtain there at Knoxville Civic Coliseum, I saw some great matches. I saw some great talent coming in and out of there working for Smoky Mountain uh, Professional Wrestling. And I, the two things that stand out really, and I'm not putting myself over by saying some of the best matches I ever had were, were against some different people, Chris Candido included, Excuse me, God damn it. But anyway, I'm going to mention another match here in a minute. But the two things that really do stand out, other than the match I'm going to mention, is um, I got to spend an hour with Terry Funk in the back. He was in the territory. He was wrestling Bullet Bob Armstrong. It was a really good match. I had a run-in with it. It was a night Terry Funk. He threw a bunch of damn chairs. He buried Bob Armstrong in the middle of the ring, Bullet Bob, with all these fucking chairs, and done a moonsault. 
and a man was hitting 40 then. You know what I'm saying? It was fucking phenomenal. We had to go out and do a, a pull apart, this and that. But in the back, I got this. My, and, and everyone, if you don't know by now, Terry Funk's my all-time favorite, you know. Um, NWA, World Heavyweight Champion. And I just loved his interviews. And in the back, I got to speak with him for like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Just Terry and I talking. And that's in my book, Pin Me, Pay Me. And so is tonight's topic or today's topic with uh, about Chris Candido. But I got to spend just listening to Terry tell me some of his greatest interviews he had he had learned from. He was there going the next day to St. Petersburg, Florida for the NWA uh, Hall of Fame, which, of course, he got inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame years later. But he said, you know why I'm going there, Bobby? I'm going there for a paycheck. That's why. You know who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, Bobby? My daddy, Dory. My brother, Dory Jr. Your trainer, Professor Boris Malenko, needs to be in that Hall of Fame. I'm going for a fucking paycheck. And I sit there listening to the fucking Terry Funk cut an interview. And he talked about how Malenko used to do these great interviews. And I knew that. And that's not something I was always great at. You can ask Jim Cornette even today. I, I'm not the greatest interview. Uh, but uh, Or a podcaster. I don't claim to be. I'm just telling you like it is here on Bell to Bell off Bobby Blaze. But here's the other thing. Bullet Bob Armstrong, and there's, there was people at the Legends of uh, the Legends Night, Fire in the Mountain, uh, Thanksgiving Thunder, all these, you know, many, many talents come through. Even before I ever worked Knoxville, you know, Malenko, uh, Bob Root, Bob Orton uh, Jr., all these guys, uh, Black Mac, Blackjack Mulligan, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Ric Flair, you know, is a great territory. But uh, another match, one of the matches I saw was Dirty Dick, uh, not Dirty Dick Slater, sorry, my bad. Uh, Dirty Dick Murdoch, or Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch, against Bob Armstrong. That place was going nuts. Jim Cornette's out there, he's managing, and uh, fucking, they did like a week. We'd done all these different towns, and Knoxville was one of our main towns. And fucking, in the middle of the match, they're working, working, working. Uh, Dick Murdoch does a flying head scissors on Bob Armstrong. It's a hell of a match. Now, he didn't do a set to see what cost him, but, but he did a couple nights later. How showed he, he jumps up and grabs him in a fucking flying head scissors. Dick Murdoch, six, 55 at the time, probably, uh, jumps up. To, he said, the billboard still says wrestling and takes him over. But them two at the Knoxville Civil Coliseum, they tore the fucking house down. You know, so yeah, and then also I got to, had the privilege of, or however you want to word it, man, I got to be in a match. I had wrestled this guy earlier, if you want to call it wrestling, um, over in Charlotte, North Carolina, after he won uh, UFC number three, I believe. I wrestled Dan the Beast Severn. I wrestled him in May, and then come, and it was a fucking eight minute match over in Charlotte. And if it had been in a cage, it would have been 30 fucking seconds, probably. Because he didn't know any better. He was, uh, it's a fucking work. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyway, thank goodness Mark Curtis was there. Jim Cornette was like, Jimmy, is this guy smart to the business or what? And he goes, well, Al, Al Snow's trained him something. I'm like, that's not what I ask you. <laughs> I don't give a fuck who's training him. He knows this will fucking work, doesn't he? Because he is Dan to be 70 just one fucking UFC number three, four, whatever. But anyway, later, that was in May, and August is Super Bowl professional wrestling. And I know I slur my asses always have. Shout out to Mr. White, my speech therapist back in grade school. But anyway, um, Dan Sever and I wrestled for the NWA title in the Super Bowl of Wrestling in Knoxville Civic Coliseum. And on that show, they had Marty Jannetty, uh, The Undertaker. They had uh, Buddy Landell wrestled, um, Shawn Michaels, The Rock and Roll Express, and PG-13, Brad Armstrong against Billy Jack Haynes. I mean, it was uh, just, uh, it was the Super Bowl professional wrestling at that time. And here I am, a fan, and, and, and you know, Jeremy, or Mr. No Gimmicks Needed, you do have a killer gimmick. You have that NWA title, that mm -hmm. belt, and I'm wrestling Dan Severn, who was the NWA champion. And I know it was a little bit different prestige at that point than it was when, when your Dory Funk Juniors, your Harley Races, your Terry Funks, your your, your Ric Flairs, and, and and those people held that title. But it, it, to me, that was the legit. To me, that was the real heavyweight title. Cause that was a fan, you know, I love the AWA. I love the WWF. WWF probably more than anything. The NWA meant more to me. And here I am in Knoxville. Right here where we're at right now at the Civic Coliseum. And I'm be wrestling against Dan the Beast Severin. And I'm like, holy fuck. And I'm like, you know what? I hope this guy understands. Business only. Business only. And we fucking had a hell of a match. It was a good match. So good, so much so that when I walked through the curtain, Buddy Landell was there. He was watching the monitor. Jim Cornette was there, who I love dearly with my heart. Total respect. Rest in peace, buddy. Fuck you, buddy. You can read all about that and fucking pin me, pay me. You can read about it and fucking, you know, I kicked out on two, my tribute to buddy. Buddy and I had our ups and downs, but I have nothing but respect for buddy. But here's the bottom line. I walked through that curtain that night, and buddy said, Bobby, you need to send that. Get that on tape. Send it to Japan. That was a hell of a match. Here's a guy I worked with for six or eight months previously. And here's Cornette, my manager, and Booker, and they're like shaking their head, like that fucking that was a good match. And I guess Dan to be Severn, and we fucking tore it down. It was only like five or six minute match, but you know what? It looked so good, it felt so good, the flow was so good. Yeah, it's all good. Well, that match is actually you can find it on YouTube if you look, and uh, it does. Now you guys kind of wrestled in a different style. It almost looked like you're trying to blend MMA and pro wrestling at that point. Yes. Uh, lots of shin kicks and leg kicks and things. I mean, you could definitely see that there was an attempt to play with the standard wrestling style at that point. Well, you know, here's the thing about that. I was in Johnson, Tennessee, Johnson City, Tennessee, just a few miles over here from Knoxville. I was, Jimmy Cornette and I, we we done WrestleCade a few years back, and we always do these fan fest, and I'm, I'm always happy to see Jimmy. We have all these bathroom stories, and this is one of them, and this is in Pin Me, Pay Me. I'm standing in a, at a urinal in Johnson City, Tennessee, ready to fucking piss, and a door swings open. Now, this is the back of the arena. 
Harold Smith shot loving an elevator there. You know, I mean, it, it is a big, uh, it's a big deal back in the day for you young folks. But anyway, I'm standing, I'm pissing. And if you're a man, and I don't know about you women, but if you're a man and you try to stop your piss midstream, you know how hard it is. I'm standing there pissing and Cornette says, Hey, Bobby, you got a minute? And I, uh. I'm like, I'm pissing. I'm like, yeah, this is unusual. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, Hey, man, a good news. And I'm like, pissing. And I'm like, he goes, yeah, I got you booked next month against Dan Severin. And I fucking stopped pissing midstream. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Do I owe you money? Are you mad at me? Are you fire me? What? And I fucking go over and I wash my hands. My piss, I'm like, I stopped. That's dead. That's dead and stinking like Abraham Lincoln. I'm done. You know, I wash my hands I'm like, Jimmy, what? What? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Listen, got Dan Severin booked next month over in Charlotte, you and him. I'm like, oh my God. As we talk, and I'm like, he understands the business. I know Al Snow's been trying, whatever, not to be redundant. I, I finished washing my hands. I'm big on that. He tells me the deal. My whole deal is like, does he understands the fucking work? You know, it's business only. And I shook his fucking hand. He said, it'd be good. It'd be good for business. And that. He tells me, though, during that conversation, I'm the only one. On his on his roster that can wrestle Dan to be severed because he knows I've been trained by the Malenkos. You know I wrestled at the YMCA back in the day. I wrestled in junior high, wrestled the YMCA back. In the day. That shit doesn't mean anything. You're in fucking junior. High. Dan Severn wrestled through college. Dan Severn is an all fucking American Ohio. He's not or Michigan rather. Excuse me, Michigan all uh, American at fuck Arizona State. He's a Olympic alternative back when we boycotted the Olympics way back when. Go back and do your fucking homework. I'm not fucking and fact check you just checked his name but the bottom line was this I said as long as he understands the, it's, it's a fucking work it's a business you know and so the first time is for 8 minutes for 7 minutes and 30 seconds of that match I'm keeping him off me because he still thinks he's in a fucking cage over in fucking Charlotte and I'm like, nah, now I gotta get the fuck away from this guy. But anyway, the Knoxville match at the Civic Coliseum here, it turned out to be a really, really good match. But the bottom line was this. He understood at that point several months later. And and I told him, I said, here's a deal. Dude, if you let me counter every verse and just work with me, folks, if you don't know by now, to quote Jimmy Cornette, quoting Dutch Mantel. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back. As much as I hate the word sports entertainment, it's fucking professional wrestling. It's pro wrestling. Whether you buy a ticket at the high school football game or the movie, it's a fucking, you're buying it for entertainment. So you go to it. And I said to Dan, I said, let me counter this time. He was already countering my counters back in Charlotte. And I said, I worked this territory for almost three years. I said, I've been on TV for almost three years. I've been the junior champion. I've been the heavyweight champion. Work with me. And it doesn't have to go as long, but we can work and treat it like a shoot. And he, he we had a gentleman's agreement. And I was so afraid. Because the second, the first finish was a Japanese armbar, which now is nothing. But back in the day, it was a tap out. Yep. And, and, and back in the day, the Fujiwara armbar which very few people knew, and I happened to know it because I had trained at Malenko's and, and, a, and a guy named 
an old crusty old bastard named Carl Gotch used to teach him and Sammy Masama, who was his uh, uh, son-in-law, used to teach shoot fighting on Sundays back in the day. And I, I'm not a shoot fighter. I'm not an MMA. I'm not all that. I'm fucking here to work. I'm entertain you. You're not in a fucking, if I walk in, you start talking about this and that. I'm like, you know what? I'm in the wrong fucking locker room. I'm here to get you over, Jack, or get over one or the other. Pin me, pay me, motherfucker. Because I'm going. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, but I knew what a, you know, I knew holds. Let's just say that. So the second time was going to be the Fujiwara arm bar. So I clothesline, and, and, and I hate fucking clotheslines, and I think our main man Tex out there put a thing about Larry, uh, the Lariat, staying the Lariat hand. We talked about that before. He took your fucking head off. I try to take, you know, there's kicks you mentioned, or this and that, there's submissions. When I clothesline Severn, I try to take his fucking head off. There's no holding back. But he reversed a clothesline into a Fujiwara armbar. I was so worried about him ripping my fucking arm out of the socket, taking it out of the socket, jerking it off, and beat me over the head with it. You remember that Flintstones fucking opening where they fucking throw that big brontosaurus fucking rib on the side of the fucking car that turns over? Yes, when I do. Fred orders. There you go. There's your 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 pop cultural throwback. I thought Dan Severn was gonna rip my fucking arm off my fucking body and beat me over the head at it. And, and and make me submit because I fucking rolled over dead as a fucking doorknob with like a zombie fucking apocalypse, my arm shooting blood out of it, whatever. <laughs> Do your best fucking uh, uh, George Romero or Quentin Tarantino getting an ear cut off, whatever. I pictured him ripping my fucking arm off, boom, and then beat me with it, and I'm dead. But I threw that fucking clothesline as hard as, and I was kicking. I wasn't holding back on those kicks, folks. I through that clothesline with my left arm, which I always threw a left. For some reason, I could, I used to be able to punch really good with my right. But for whatever reason, I, I know the reason. Because I was training Malenko's, and Joe Malenko stopped me one day in a ring. Jody, uh, my friend Rico and myself, uh, we were training, and, and Larry, Professor Boris Malenko, asked, us, asked me to stay. I, already knew the, I didn't know the deal, but Rico and, and, and Larry did, and so did Dean. Jody was stopping by, and the Malenko's getting to go to fucking Japan. For a tour back in the day, and he said, I'd like you to stay around and work out my boys. I'd heard Jody's you know, reputation as a shooter. We talked about that before. Well, here's the bottom line. When he asked me, when when, when Professor Boris Malenko, a.k.a. Larry Simon, you know, Larry Malenko, what do you want to call him, asked me to stay back and work out with my tag partner and work out with his sons to tune up for a Japan tour, what a fucking honor. You can't do that in front of people. You know what I'm saying? I was like honored. And Jody stopped me and said, here's the way you throw a clothesline. And showed me, without hurting me, showed me. So I always threw a left-handed clothesline, and it looked so effective. Well, when I went to throw it on Dan Severn, and he fucking turned it into a Fujiwara armbar, it was so smooth and so perfect. And when the referee hit that mat, boom, 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 one, two, three. You don't have to pin me, but I got paid. And <laughs> Severn got paid. And thankfully, he understood at that point, four or five months into the business, you know, this is the work. The better I make this guy look, when I do beat him, the better I'll be. And it didn't hurt his credibility in MMA, MMA, or pro wrestling or anything else, obviously. And, and all due respect with Dan, Dan Severn, I've trained with him. I've went to the gym with him. We trained on mats. I have nothing but respect. I worked with him twice. The second time was much, that five or six minute match was so much better. 
all because we had a gentleman's agreement and basically pin me, pay me, or you know what, when I throw this food, you wear arm bar, I know you're going to rip my arm out of my socket. Fuck it. I will tap. At one point or another, I will fucking tap. So work with me. And um, the bottom line on all that is, you know, um, Dan Severn said this. Hey, I can work a shoot or I can shoot a work. And I thought, you know what? I'd already talked to Steve Armstrong. I talked to Armstrong. I talked to Cornette in that bathroom. And I thought, you know what? How fucking smart is that? Because that's that's the thing. So can I, motherfucker. You might be an Olympian. But I'm going to fight you. But let's do it this way. And I know who would have won. And it's not a matter who won or who lost if it was a fight. But in a wrestling match, I can work a work or I can shoot a shoot, or I can shoot a work and work a shoot. And I was like, you know what? I already know I'm putting you over, motherfucker. I already know Cornette's paying me. I already know it's going to be a good house. It's soup bowl of fucking wrestling. When I throw this arm and I throw a clothesline, I'm going to throw as hard as I can. Catch it. Snatch it. Take me down. Don't rip it out of my fucking socket like I'm a fucking, like you're on some zombie movie and beat me over the head with it. Please be smooth. And he was nothing but professional. Took me down. Boom, boom, boom. I tap out. And he wins the match. And he's still, at that point, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And I'm thinking, like we was talking about earlier, how fucking lucky am I? I'm getting paid to do something I love. I'm getting to wrestle against a world-class fucking athlete that had one in the UFC. I'm in front of a packed fucking house in Knoxville, Tennessee at the Super Bowl Professional Wrestling. And I'm fighting for the NWA World Heavyweight title. And guess what? The better man beat me. The better man won. And I take pride in the fact that I had that honor. So how I'm a club fucking sandwich, Jeremy. How lucky am I? You don't say that at the end of the day. I am lucky, brother. <laughs> no, absolutely. Oh man. So Bobby, we're gonna start getting ready to switch gears here, but I yeah, do want to. I, I do want to say for uh, anybody that wants to help out the show a little bit, throw us a couple bucks to help me cover uh, hosting costs for the first year. You can go to tinyurl.com/slash bbgofundme. Now, this, the second part of the show is going to be brought to you, sponsored by Pin Me, Pay Me by Bobby Blaze Smedley, which you can buy at tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. So I figure that's the smoothest way to bring those in, and I, I could see I was going to have to start reining you in pretty quickly because you're getting pretty yes. excited on that. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going we're gonna to go ahead. Oh, before we go to our topic, though, I do want to give a quick shout-out to Andy Toth, I assume, who yes. gave us the idea for this week's show. Uh, was actually giving us a couple ideas for a couple different shows that we're working on. Uh, but, Andy, thank you so much for the idea. And, uh, Bobby, why don't you tell us a little bit about Chris Candido? Okay, so here's the deal. I was at, uh, right here at Knoxville Civic Coliseum. Jim Cornette already told me, hey, I've got some young guy I'm going to bring in for you. They had plans for me at Smoky Mountain, and I was happy. Glad to have a job in the world of professional wrestling. About two or three weeks before we started our program, I'm in the back, and Chris comes up to me, introduced himself like a true fucking professional, 
shakes my hand and says, hey, I'm Chris Candido, blah, blah, blah. And I understand, you know, I'm coming in. He was finishing up. He was from New Jersey, had that accent, had that attitude, great body, great interview, which we'll eventually learn about, and great talker, which we'll learn about. But he introduced himself, and he was just finishing up in Memphis. And he was coming in in a few weeks because he was man enough. Excuse me, I just hit my computer there and microphone. Um, he was man enough and professional. That's the thing that sometimes misses in professional wrestling, someone being professional, uh, to introduce himself to me. And so I knew he was coming in. I knew the program was coming up. I didn't know how intense it was going to be. I didn't know how great it was going to be. But from that moment on, when he introduced himself, I'm Chris Candido, uh, working over Memphis, blah, blah, blah. I understand we're working together and this and that. And, man, we just hit it off. And we had a program built up. Uh, that was going to take place, but we had no idea how far it was going to go, how good it was going to go. But Chris was a young man with a great physique that, as I said, we could find out, could talk, could do a great interview, and I knew it was going somewhere. But that's the first time I met him right here in the back. I'd finished up a match. I walked up, coming from the ring. He comes up, introduced himself, and I'm like, you know what? This guy gets it because he took the time to introduce himself and tell me, I understand we'll be working together. Of course, I understood at that time what it meant, and I didn't, again, know the intensity of it, but I certainly appreciated the professionalism and respect given to me by Chris Candido from my first moment. So that was my introduction to Chris. He'd come up and talk to me. Um, so I only know him, like, I really, I've read more about him than I've actually watched him work. Uh, obviously my introduction to him was, uh, with Sonny in the WWE with him and Dr. Tom Pritchard yeah. playing, playing the, uh, Skip, what were, what were their names? Skip and Pip or Skip and Zip or something yeah. like that with Sonny as their manners. Yeah. And you know, that was years later because yep. I went to, eventually I went to a WWF, uh, now E, we, we go over that in the show sometimes. I'll just refer to it as WWF, whatever. Yeah. Uh, eventually I went in the back and, and, and jumped forward real quick and Sonny was the first one to come up to me and, oh, Bobby, how are you? She loved on me and whatever. And she said, look at my new tattoo. And she showed me this and that. But Chris in front of everyone come out from around a corner. He had been around a corner doing the interviews. And again, this is back in the day and smoke him out at that point. Let me jump ahead. They had already left the area. But uh, he said, uh, Bobby Blaze, one of my all-time, if not my favorite opponent, you know, and introduced me. And I'd already talked to, like, Al Snow and several other people I already knew that was on the show. But he made it a point to get me over in the back of a WWF show that, you nice. know, what a town I was. And that, that made me feel good. But jump backwards, you know, Chris worked his program. I worked mine. And it all built to, all because of the booking of Jim Cornette, it was going to start off with a little junior heavyweight title that I happened to have that I worked off of uh, uh, Bobby Fortin show. They put this world, or at least the U.S., junior heavyweight title on me, and that was very prestigious. And I got it, you know, working as a heel up in Ohio, West Virginia, in the, in the uh, uh, I guess you'd call it the, the central, north central part of uh, Kentucky, and uh, so they put this junior heavyweight title on me, and Chris Candido had this 
WWA title that was the original world, you know, wrestling association, heavyweight title, whatever. He's from New Jersey, and people's not recognizing his title in Smoky Mountain, but they yet recognize, you know, the NWA, they recognize the uh, Smoky Mountain, they recognize all these, and they let alone, they recognize this junior weight title that I had, which was a beautiful title belt, might I add, beautiful. And he come in hot about how they didn't recognize his WWA title. And we started a program. And that title... I wouldn't have given you 10 cent for at a fucking local recycling place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it was at work and he gimmicked it and he worked it. And I had that beautiful, and it was Scotty Armstrong owned it. And I hope he still does. It was a beautiful red, white, blue belt with the, um, U S junior heavyweight championship, uh, champion on it. And it was a beautiful title. They put on me. And uh, Cornette, you know, like me, Horner, uh, Sandy Scott, Mark Curtis, all those guys. I went in because I worked hard. I busted my ass. And they bring, they brought this guy in, a young, talented Chris Candido that was claiming to be the World Wrestling Association or whatever the fucking WWA stood for with this piece of junk fucking title from up there in New Jersey that no one recognized, but he had beat Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, and all these people he mentions in an interview, if, you, if you've seen it, uh, and I'm sure you have by now. And that started our program, man. And we just, we had chemistry. We had fucking chemistry, and it, and it worked. I, I, I'm looking at the title history of the Smoky Mountain uh, United States Junior Heavyweight Championship right now. And it goes like this. Bobby Blaze, Chris Candido. Bobby Blaze, Chris Candido. Bobby Blaze, Chris Candido. Vacated. Al Snow. With a note right here saying that this may have been a fictitious title change uh, with Snow defeating Bobby Blaze. Next champion, Bobby Blaze. Then it's vacated. So you have worn that belt more times than you've probably actually worn a belt in your life. <laughs> That's safe to say, because I don't fucking, you know, I got a black belt. What are y'all going to say, J.C. Penny, 399? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not fucking missing my age. Yeah, I am the last junior heavyweight title holder in Smoky Mountain. I'm the last fucking TV champion in Smoky Mountain wrestling history or whatever. But here's the thing. You're right. I probably wore that junior heavyweight title more than I fucking wore a fucking belt. And that's because of good booking, of good insight, of, of, you know, understanding that, you know what, it's a fucking work. I'm putting you over, you put me over. I'm putting you And we're working a program in a bottom line. As I mentioned earlier, whether you're buying a ticket to high school football or to a movie or to pro wrestling, you're buying a ticket to be entertained. And Chris Canino and I went out and we worked our fucking ass off every night over that title back and forth. And so let's get into this. Chris Candido, you know, he comes down, he, he, he leaves his home in New Jersey. He comes down with his girlfriend at the time, Tammy. And he starts working for Smoky Mountain, and he's got this title. And we just had this chemistry. It goes back and forth. And we worked TVs. We wrestled on house shows. And we'd go out there every night pushing each other as much as we could because we were young. We were hungry. We were both athletic. I was probably a better athlete. I'm not going to lie about that. I was probably a better wrestler. I'm not going to lie about that, but, and I, why, why the fuck would us? My goddamn fucking podcast. 
I'll admit it. I'll pat myself on the back here, a.k.a. Barry Horowitz. You know, here's the thing. I fucking went out. I was a better athlete. I was a better wrestler. But you know what? Candido, he knew to be a worker. He knew to do the interviews. He knew how to get that over. And together with my athletic ability and his, his body and mine, and I was in good shape at, at that time, and our minds wanting to tear the fucking house down because we're young, hungry, and athletic and can wrestle. And none of that was ever a dig toward Chris. I don't mean that. I just know what an athlete I used to be. I know what a wrestler I used to be. We would go out there and tear the house down. And Jimmy Cornette one night come to us. And I love Jim, and I've said that redundant times on this fucking podcast. He said, a couple of the guys in the upper you know, part of the show are saying, you guys are doing too much. You're doing... And he'll tell you, it says it right there on his podcast, I've heard it, and put me over, and I appreciate it. If we'd have went too far off the high-flying, if we went too far off the bizarre stuff, what he'd have fucking stopped us after the first week. But he said, you know what, we're in old school territory. Here's where it's at. Take it to this, and if they can't follow, basically fuck them. You know what I'm saying? He didn't say it now with those words. He just said, basically, you know what, I want you guys to still go out there and tear the house down. And Jim Cornette wrote the, the forward to my book, Pin Me, Pay Me. But Chris and I worked. And the first big shows we worked, we worked Thanksgiving Thunder. We worked uh, Christmas Chaos. But the first shows we worked, uh, we, we you know done a bunch of TVs leading up to the Thanksgiving Thunder tour. And here's why I want to really get Chris over. And I, and I want to pay tribute to him is this. He comes up to me and he says, Bobby, I got this great idea. And I'm listening to him. We're here in the back at the Civic Coliseum. I'm like, yeah, okay. Because I was open to suggestions. I had my own input. I wanted to wrestle. And at that time, you know, people still were believing. There was, you know, not if the Internet was around, it wasn't that prevalent. There wasn't cell phones that prevalent. People had bag phones, whatever. And he says, uh, I want to do a power bomb off the top rope. And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? Seriously, I said, are you fucking cra- Are you fucking with me? And he said, no. I was watching this tape from Japan, and I used to watch tapes all the time about Malenko from Japan where Dean and Jody used to go. One of the best, I think, match of the year in 1989 is like the British Bulldogs against Malenko's over in Japan. Uh, so I, was a, I used to watch Terry Gordy and Steve Williams. and got fucking ripping people's heads off for all Japan and all that. So I was like, what the fuck are you? Th-? He said, yeah, yeah, this will work. And I'm like, okay. So tell me about it. And and my question to him was, and he was a strong, cock-strong motherfucker. He says, I said, can you, do you think you can rotate me enough? Because I knew he could powerbomb me. He said, yeah, I think so. So we're there in the hallway or the back, and he picks me up, and I get up on his shoulders. You know, my crotch is in his face, whatever, and he's holding me there. And, And I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm up. You know, he's holding me, and he lets me down gently. And no power bomb there in the hallway, of course. And he says, yeah, I think, I think I can. And I said, so, so how's the setup? And he says, well, you know, maybe you, you put me up there. Maybe you beat me, glom me, blah, 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 blah. And I end up on a top rope, and you come over to get me, and I'll cut you off a gut shot. When you've been overselling it, I'll power bomb you. And so this is like two or three weeks out, and I'm like, holy fuck, are you serious? I don't tell anyone. I don't tell anyone. And Chris doesn't tell anyone. It's him and I. 
So I'm thinking for at least a couple weeks, I won't say three, but at least a couple, I'm thinking, holy fuck, this guy is out of his fucking rocker. I got to take this fucking bump. I don't have to, but I'm debating it. And so a couple days pass, we go back on the road again. I'm like, Chris, you know what? We'll work every night. Obviously, I trust him. And uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, we'll do it. And in my book, I shortened that up a little bit. But basically, a week or so passed. I'm like, you know what? We'll fucking do it. And starting on Thanksgiving night of that year for the Thanksgiving Thunder tour, we were having what was called a, quote, turkey title at the time, where at the end of the match, the winner could tar and feather the loser. So the first night, Chris and I are in Hazard, Kentucky. And he fucking, I set him up, boom, 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 put him in a turnbuckle. I go get him. And as I'm climbing the ropes, he gives me a gut shot. I double over and he power bombs me off the fucking top rope. Yeah. No one else in the U.S. had ever done it. No one else in the U.S. had ever seen it, as I found out before that. He power bombed me off the fucking top rope, and you talk about a fucking bump. I'm sitting there laying going, I have two thoughts in my head. One, am I alive? Because if I am, if this is oblivion or fucking heaven or hell or whatever, I don't know where the fuck I'm at. And two, which is more rational and more relevant, I'm thinking, I'm going to take this fucking bump three more nights in a row. Are you <laughs> kidding me? But the first night here we done, Mr. No Gimmicks Needed, this is what we've done, sir. As he climbed eventually, it took him maybe two or three seconds, he went ahead and climbed back up on that top rope piece and positioned himself this and that. And as he jumped down, I drop kicked him. I jumped out of a fucking power bomb off the top rope because I did have to shake it off legit. I jumped up, drop kicked him off the top rope and knocked him out of the fucking air and went for the pin. Now, it got over. You're in Hazard fucking Kentucky, which we had strong TV in it at the time. And you got two young up-and-comer fucking lions, you know, and I had a pin, blah, 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 do the fucking, you know, turkey title. You fucking pour some, you know, the, 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 the syrup or the fucking, you know, tar, and you feather them, and that's that. Whatever was set up for. And the place popped. We go in the back. Because he had seen that finish where the guy jumped up from the power bomb off the top rope from a Japan, a Japanese rather, tape. We go in the back, and Kevin Sullivan, who was there at the time, who I have the utmost respect for, who I just spoke to uh, as as late as Memorial Day weekend or whatever the fuck holiday it was back at the end of May at that Bobby Fort retirement show, shout out. Uh, but and Kevin's been at my house and, you know, he always treated me with respect and this and that. And I love Kevin. So I'll do respect to him. Shout out. So Kevin comes up to us in the hallway at Hazard, Kentucky. And he says, guys, that was a great match. And this is Kevin Sullivan, who I have seen and respect and nothing but love for. He says, but here's the thing. He says, you jumped up after, I've never seen a fucking move like that. You know, it's Kevin in his Boston accent still today. And he's like, you jumped up and kicked out of, or whatever, out of a fucking powerbomb off the top. No one's even fucking seen that in the U.S. Are you fucking kidding me? What are you going to do next? You're going to fucking cut his head off with a machete? 
<laughs> and me and me and Chris are listening to him very intensely because you know we have nothing respect because he's a fucking veteran and he knows the business and a great mind for the business. And he goes, "What are you gonna fucking do next? Cut his head off the machete?" And we're looking at him like, "What?" And he goes, "Bobby, y'all or I think he said Chris actually y'all plan on doing the next few nights?" And Chris was like shaking his head, "Yes, yes, sir." And he looked at me and goes, "Bobby, here's what you do. Once he power bombs you off the top, die." Lay there like you're fucking dead. And I, and I said something like, you know what? I fucking felt like I was. And he goes, good. Lay there. And he said, Chris, to you, when you go to pick them up, you sell it. Bobby, don't move. Chris, you're picking up dead, dead weight. You try to pick them up. At the time, I was like 220, pretty good shape, whatever. But, you know, it's hard to pick up 225 yeah. for a deadlift or 315, 400, whatever. When you're picking up a human body, it's a whole lot different. Yep. Mr. No gimmicks fucking needed. When you go to pick me up, I'm be dead weight. He grabbed me from trunks. I don't sell. You know, he said, Chris, sell it. Look to the fans like, oh, fuck. I've hurt this guy. Sell it. You don't know what the fuck went wrong. Sell it. And that's the match. And we looked at him. Yes, 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 sir. And Kevin turned around and goes, now, excuse me now. I go, I got to go get a fucking fight Brian Lee. He goes, I'm in an Asian spike match with Brian Lee. And he turned around hustles out of there. And me and Chris turned back, well, we start cracking up because he's telling us about cutting our heads off machetes and then this and that. And he says, I got to go wrestle Brian Lee in an Asian spike match. He's going to the <laughs> ring to fucking kill some guys. You know, here's Kevin Sullivan. He's going to kill some guy at six foot fucking six, 280 fucking pounds. He's going to be in a fucking spike. Asian, Asianic spike match where they got a fucking three or four boxes in a ring. And when you find a fucking spike, you can fucking beat your opponent and kill him with it or whatever. And we're sitting, we just laugh at the irony of that, you know. But my point is the next three nights when we done that spot and I took that power bomb, that was it. And it got over so huge with Chris powerbombing me off the top rope and me laying there being dead, which I damn near felt it, especially after the end of three fucking nights. I was like, golly, I beat the fuck up. But it got over. And so with that said, let me just say this. You know, with Chris, I trusted him. He took care of me on that powerbomb from the top rope. We both went ahead and done great business in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He became one of the tag, you know, we, we exchanged that title, as you mentioned, that junior heavyweight title. He became one of the tag team champions eventually with Brian Lee when I became eventually a Smoky Mountain heavyweight title against Jerry Lawler and Dirty White Boy and Bill and Dale, that whole tie-in. And you can read all about that and pin me, pay me, and, and you can see it on DVDs or on YouTube or whatever, whatever, whatever your fucking outlet is that you get off on. But that's the that's the story, you know, and the thing is about Chris, I just want to say this. I remember being at home on a Sunday morning, maybe a Monday, I don't, you know, remember the exact, I think it was a Sunday. I was still wrestling at the time, and I read about his death, and I wrote this gimmick, and I just started writing stuff. And I'm a writer, man, by heart. That I, maybe you think, well, he says all these uhs and uh and this and that, and he talks like a fucking hillbilly and this and that. You know what? I, I do. I talk like I do. I am like I am. And, and, and like I said, I mentioned earlier, 
Jim Cornette, even here recently on one of his podcasts, he has put me over huge. It's on YouTube. It's on Jim Cornette's podcast. Put me over huge. Why the fuck would he put a title on me if he didn't believe me? Believe in me, rather. He put a junior title on me. He put a Smoky Mountain heavyweight title on me. Nothing but love and respect for Jimmy. And he'll tell you, I'm not the best fucking interview. I'm not the best fucking, I'm not even the best fucking podcaster. No gimmicks needed. Mr. Jeremy over there at the fucking Geekish Cast, he's a fucking podcaster. But yeah. you listen to Bell to Bell, Bobby Blaze, and, and you follow us, and you have a good time. But here's the thing. I know how to write something and put it in words. It may not come out that way if this old Southern accent, oh, Bobby over there in Ashland, Kentucky. Well, you know what? Here from the Knoxville Civic Coliseum, let me just finish up, Jeremy, because I know I just want to read one thing. I want to read a couple things that I wrote about Chris Candido a couple days after his passing. And I do want to remember him because he was a great talent. I had a great run with him, and I have nothing but respect for him. Chris Candido, we're mentioning. And in my book, Pin Me, Pay Me, a memoir, Have Boost for Travel, you can get on Amazon. Please, Jeremy, what's the tiny URL? Just give it out to me one time, please. Tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. Go download that book. Go buy that book in print edition, and if you ever see me out, I'll sign it for you. I do make appearances here and there. I'm at some shows coming up. I'm going to I'm talking to Jeremy a little bit offline there or off the air, whatever you want to call it. I am going to a couple of shows. I always have books with me. And, and, and DM me on, on, on um, Twitter at BobbyBlaze744 or get with the Geekish Cash at, at the you know, Garrett, Jeremy at the Geekish Cash rather, or visit us at visit us at Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze, uh, Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. There's a Facebook page. There's all kinds. Of, you go to the fucking Bell to Bell. You type it in. And it's gonna come up for the GoFundMe. But I'm jumping ahead. Let me just say this. In my book, there's a there's a thing called just passing through. And I talked about some of the wrestlers who have sadly had, had left us at an early age or a young age in a professional wrestling business. And and death waits for no man. And that, that's the thing. It, it doesn't. No man or no woman. And Chris was taken from us way too soon, way too early. He's a great talent. And I wrote this thing called The Suicide Blonde. And it was just about my memories. And it says this. If you watch the video... And I took two people, uh, asked me some questions. You know, I take question at hashtag BB, BB on, on Bell to Bell with Bell to Bell Blaze. Jim Cornette helped produce this. He was there. And uh, it's old school Rasnass best. Chris Candido was down at the river. He was going to throw that junior heavyweight title, which I loved. And I still think it's a beautiful title. Uh, the belt itself is beautiful. He was going to throw it in a river down in Tennessee. And I just so happened, as I answered the question, uh, they said, you know, old school wrestling, that's best. Uh, I was booked to fucking be there. You know, here's Chris out at somewhere, and he's going to throw the fucking belt in the, in the river. Well, you know, when you watch that video, Candido, you son of a... I said, bitch. I said, Candido, you son of a bitch. Of course, TV says, Candido, you son of a bitch. I was shouting after he threw my Smoky Mountain Wrestling Junior Heavyweight title into the old ice cold river during the month of November, right before we would go to go on tour 
for the Thanksgiving Thunder Tour in 1993. We were scheduled to fight over the turkey title in which the winner will get a chance to tar and feather loser. Man, you talk about some fun promos, but fucking coming out of that icy emerging water, it wasn't much fun. Thankfully, we got the shot of me going into that river and coming out of it in one shot. The next little section, which is in my book, I dedicated to one of the boys who had passed away, and that was Chris Candido. And I shared some of those moments earlier on, and I, and I wrote that for way back in the day for a couple of the uh, websites for professional wrestling. And I put that in pin me, pay me. And I had a, you know, I wrote in here, I had a personal time dealing with the, the and we all do personal deaths in our families and, and friends, a loved one and, and professional wrestling or whatever. I, it, it touched me in a certain way because he had such an influence in my young life. And, and the bottom line is he was just too young to die, but he did. And I, I shared that with people and I told you a story about the uh, power bomb and how we just become close. And I always remember Chris back in the day. And again, it's one of those things I got a picture of me headlocking him and Tammy's looking on. This is Tammy before tits. And it's no disrespect to Tammy, but it's way before tits. And we, I saw it all the way back in the day before anyone else saw it all. And I'm not, you know, knocking on wood, talking out of school or whatever, but I've seen it pre-tits and post-tits and all that. Hey, Tammy, shout out, fuck off, whatever. Check her out. I don't know. I don't know nothing. What do I know, Jeremy? I don't know nothing. But all I'm saying is this. I knew them both when they was innocent. I went to the house for dinner. I traveled with Chris. I heard him talk on the phone with her late into the, into the night. I was at that time just recently married at that point. And here he is with the love of his life, and he's living his gimmick. He's living his dream. And so I always try to remember people the best way I can when they were nice and young and innocent. And I closed it up by just saying that, you know what? Every time I think about the money I made overseas on tours or in WCW, it doesn't mean one thing to me. My happiest memories are the days when Chris and I were just making enough to stay alive and get to the next town on our booking sheet. I'm sure on the national scene, national scene, many more top-name performers and many fans will miss Chris from his days in the big spotlight. But I will always remember him when he was innocent and performing only as he could. He was a great worker and will always have my respect for his contributions to our industry, our business. He was an innovator, innovator. He was a hard worker. He was a true wrestling great in my eyes. And that's my remembrance of Chris Candido. And as you can hear in the background, there's Medusa's monster's truck firing up outside of my fucking door. So that's the bell to bell with Blaze and my memories of Chris Candido. The no gimmicks needed one of the best wrestlers in my eyes that I got to perform with in that ring. And that's my story. And I'm fucking sticking to it. Whether you like it or whether you don't tell them, Jeremy, tell them, Mr. No gimmicks needed. What do they need to fucking do? Tell them. Cause that's me. I'm done. I'm peace, brother. I'm at peace with it all. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to request that everybody who's already listening to us, wherever you're listening to us at, please go rate and review us. 
Uh, we might be able to even talk Bobby into giving you a shirt or something if you uh, email us and let us know. I'm not going to say we're going to do that, but it's an idea I'm kicking around. If this is your first time, remember to follow us on iTunes or whatever format that you follow your podcasts on. Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. We, we do this because we like talking about wrestling. We have the advantage of having one of the pros on the show who has great stories. Um, you know, we've got some some great fan interaction. If you've got something you want us to talk about, just let us know. You can tweet to us. Probably the simplest way would be just to use our uh, at Blaze Bell to Bell. I'm sorry, at Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. That way, both Bobby and I will see it, and one of us will give the other one a heads up. Um, in the meantime, though, everybody just check us out. Let us know what you're liking about us, what, what you're not liking. Go buy Bo- Bobby's book on Amazon. You got a choice of uh, Pin Me, Pay Me, or I kicked out on two, The Education of a Wrestler. Bobby, we ran over time, so I'm just going to wrap up and say that, you know, for Bobby Blaze and for myself, Jeremy Vilmer, bye-bye, everybody. Shall we gather at the river? Oh, I told all you idiots when I won this championship, but I was going to take it and throw it right in the lake, right where it belongs. Because I was shocked, amazed, and disgusted when Smoky Mountain Wrestling refused to recognize my WWA World Heavyweight Championship, but yet agreed to recognize this ugly piece of garbage, the U.S. Junior Heavyweight Championship belt. So now I got it in my possession. And you know... I've beat everybody in professional wrestling, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Jushin Liger, J.R. Benson, I've beat them all. So now I'm going to take this championship belt along with every other belt that I'm going to win and throw it right in this disgusting river that's not like New Jersey where we have beautiful things like hypodermic needles and medical waste in our rivers. And then there'll be no other title left to recognize in the world of professional wrestling but my WWA Heavyweight Championship of the World. And, you know, I told that coward Bobby Blaze that he can come here today and watch as this piece of garbage sinks to the bottom of this river, and he didn't have enough guts to even show up. So, Bobby, hope you're sitting there home watching this. Everybody, this belt is going to sink to the bottom of this disgusting, muddy river right now. Candido, don't! Don't! What the hell? Come on, guys, come on. He did that here. What happened to me a few days ago in that river right there was the most embarrassing, humiliating thing that's ever happened to me in my professional wrestling career. People wonder, Bobby, why do you take so much pride in that U.S. Junior Heavyweight title? Well, someone like Candido takes no pride, but me, that's the first major title that I'd won, the, the biggest, most prestigious thing I've ever done in my professional wrestling career. And it sickens me to no end. Makes my stomach hurt to see Chris Candido walking around with a belt that has no value to him whatsoever. Embarrassing, humiliating. Candido, I know some people in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and I'm going down to them, some promoters, and I'm going to talk to them, and I'm going to try to come up with a way to embarrass and humiliate you the way you did me right over in that river just a few days ago. You take no pride in that belt. I got here just in time last week, a couple days ago, Candido. You was in the process of dumping that title, the one I take so much pride in, in that river. I don't understand that. It makes me sick. It makes me sick. And the way you embarrassed me and humiliated me, like I said, I'm going to go to the promoters and I'm going to find a way to embarrass you Candido, more so than you embarrassed me in that river right there.